As the 21st century automotive world evolves and new electric vehicle technologies are introduced, new leaders will emerge on the landscape. The EV Power Podcast by RPM News takes you behind the headlines as your guide to this new generation of sustainable transportation. And welcome, everybody, to the EV Power Podcast brought to you by RPM News Weekly. My name is Peter. With me, as always, is Rich. Rich, hello. Howdy. How's everything going? Good, good. Uh, so last week we talked a little bit about uh, Joe Biden's incoming presidency and what that means for the EV future. And uh, we're going to follow up a little bit You know, this week. I know everybody's just dying to hear about politics. I know I'm kind of done with the whole subject. But, um, you know, there's a, a, a little bit of... Uh, Somewhat related news, I guess. I, I don't know if it's directly related to Biden win the election, but uh, Rich, you want to fill us in on that? Well, as you were saying last week, we discussed the promises that President-elect Joe Biden made regarding tax incentives, including rebates to buy, increasing the rebates to buy EVs and uh, an expansion of charging stations across the country, along with other items, too, that have to do with uh, fleet managements and, and the movement of, of fleets in, in government. Uh, to electric vehicles. So these are measures that automakers have long been seeking. But it was interesting that uh, California was running into a little bit of an issue with the Trump administration wanting to uh, take away their ability to set their own emission rules. And there was an ongoing court fight that saw us the automakers themselves actually pitted against each other. You had uh, big ones like GM who were sitting with the president uh, on this, and then you had others like Ford that were not. So now with the new administration coming in, uh, it's interesting to note that this just today, the news has come out. I say today, and uh, maybe I should say it a little bit differently, but uh, uh, it's uh, news today, uh, no matter what, uh, that GM is uh, reversing course on that. They sort of flipped, uh, and uh, they will no longer back the Trump administration's effort to bar California from setting its own emission rules. So, and they're urging uh, other manufacturers to follow suit with them, uh, where you already had several that were uh, not opposing California. Uh, and it's, it's great to see GM jump, jump on board. Of course, it raises a lot of questions. And it's curious that they would do it at this time. Some people might look at it as just being a flip from one side to the other. Right. I mean, I, I'm one of those people who was a little, uh, I would say, skeptical or, or suspicious of the timing. I mean, it's if, if Joe Biden hadn't won the election, would they be announcing this now or or would it be business as usual? Would they be you know, staying their course and, and, and following along with? Um, Trump and, and like you said, other automakers, you know, Fiat Chrysler being one of them, which is not surprising. I mean, you know, look at Dodge's lineup. It's not exactly the most fuel efficient lineup in the world. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they, they canceled their small Fiat 500. So there's only a handful of Fiats that are four cylinders. Everything else is, is either V6 or V8 powered. And they've never done much in terms of hybrid. No. The Pacifica is, it might be the only one that you can really point to. Well, yeah, uh, and also the the Ram. I mean, that's something I will give them credit for. Um, the Ram truck sort of is standard with a with a I don't want to call it a hybrid; it's a mild hybrid. So they added that standard hybrid, mild hybrid technology to the Ram, which is interesting because you would think that they would even advertise that, but they don't really. It's kind of like a something you don't realize until you go onto the build page and you you try building a vehicle that that's the case. And and it and it's, you know, maybe too little, not too late, but it, it may be too little at this point in time. Uh, and then another surprise on the list is Toyota. You know, we talked about uh, this earlier before the podcast. You know, it, it's surprising that, that Toyota would be going against... California. Right. Right. Just so that, just so that we're clear. Uh, so, I mean, let, why don't we try to line up some of the uh, automakers uh, who's on, on, on which side? Uh, so we have on the... Uh, who was in the on the Trump side, notables anyway, if we kind of go through the list. The ones that joined the lawsuit were GM, previous, previous to today, GM, Toyota, Fiat, Hyundai, Mazda, Nissan, Kia, Subaru. Those were all uh, backing the Trump's administration's aim to 
uh, not permit states to set their own emission standards. And California being the one that, of course, it was getting hit. Uh, and they, of course, have a very good reason to want to be able to set their own emission standards. After all, they are the ones who experience uh, smog more than anywhere else in the country. And uh, pollution that's related to automobiles just increases that problem that they have because of their geographic position. And uh, I can understand how they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't want to have to wait for all of the other states to somehow come up with a plan uh, and have the federal government kind of back this plan. And especially, too, is, is that what the Trump administration had wanted to do, if you go back into March, uh, they wanted to, uh, they had finalized a, a rollback of fuel efficiency standards requiring a 1.5% annual increase uh, in efficiency through uh, 2026. And that was not anything like what was already in place, uh, had been set in motion uh, in the Obama administration, which was 5% yearly boost. So they were discarding those, uh, those standards and going for a, a much less strict standard to begin with. And then you know, following that up with this, trying to bar California from being able to set its own emission rules, which is so important. I mean, maybe, maybe we should uh, underline or underscore the point that Eleven uh, percent of vehicles are sold in California, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, that's a huge percentage when you consider that there's 50 states. So uh, they they've got an 11 percent share of the automotive market. So they have the ability to you know move mountains, so to speak. Uh, obviously, not the mountains that are keeping all the smog in, but but uh, you know they they're very influential. That that's a that's a big chunk of cars that the manufacturers uh, you know have to cater to so you know so it's uh, it's a big deal you know that the, that uh, they would now be in, uh, forced into this lawsuit so I'm I'm kind of happy to see that uh, very happy to see that GM has turned uh, turned their back on on backing the Trump's administration's uh, lack of foresight about climate change. Toyota, I believe, they said, uh, you know, they're, they're assessing the situation, of course, because they, they do a lot of business in California as well, you know, uh, so they don't want to lose that business or, or, you know, anger residents of California because, as you said, it's a, it's a large market. But just to circle back to the list of, of manufacturers, you know, we talk about, uh, I think we mentioned Hyundai and Subaru and Kia. There, there's a group called the Association of Global Automakers. They're a lobby group. So, so Hyundai and, and Kia and, and Subaru, they weren't really directly, you know, joining this suit. They were as members of this Global Automakers Association uh, in, in that lawsuit. It also includes, you know, Aston Martin, Ferrari, you know, Maserati, McLaren, Nissan and PSA who, who, who are taking over, you know, who are merging with FCA and, and, and curiously Byton. You know, Byton is an electric car manufacturer. They're on that list. It's an odd group for them to be hanging out with. I don't even think they make car, cars yet, Byton. But notably, automakers such as Ford, Honda, and Volkswagen, uh, they had already announced a deal with California back in 2019 on emissions requirements, and they finalized that in August. Yeah. And uh, they did not intervene in the Trump administration's fight with California. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, a lot of automakers probably already had plans in place anyway, you know, when even when Trump kind of, you know, trumped this up, I, you know, it's not like they went, OK, Trump's going to change everything. Let's go out and, and start ripping emissions hoses off these cars. You know, they already had stuff in the works, I'm sure, to, to, to get by these, you know, these California emissions laws. Well, the thing, though, is, is that we, we shouldn't make it sound so lopsided, though, is, is that California may have been the, the uh, prime initiative for manufacturers doing this, but they were uh, also, uh, along with California, there were at least 12 other states that, that generally followed the same guidelines that California would set in motion. And, and in this particular case, there were 22 other states that— uh, and someone, and obviously some environmental groups that challenged the Trump's administration in this in the California suit. Uh, so you know they had a lot of folks uh, on their side. You know, twenty two other states, uh, and uh, here in New England is that we you know follow the the standards that uh, California has set in place. 
So when the manufacturers, I know that they sell certain vehicles, there's certain things that they do to vehicles, uh, uh, requirements for emission standards in California. But as far as uh, uh, what, how that uh, carries over into the other parts of the country, yeah, there's a lot of other states that, that have set similar requirements, uh, or at least uh, on paper say that they follow the, you know, California. Uh, so, uh, you know, so it's not a case of where manufacturers are going to have to come up with 50 different kinds of standards based on 50 different states. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not really how it's working at all. So just to kind of make that clear, uh, you know, it's not an effort to complicate things. It's, it's simply that California faces some pollution issues that are different than the rest of the country. And so they become the leader for some of these changes in, in the fight for zero emission. Yep. And, uh, and other states just, uh, agree with it. Uh, it uh, does them good, too. It does every, actually does everybody good. But, you know, it was just it, the case was is that it, it was just how California just got in the crosshairs because the outgoing president uh, was not much of a person to look at the science of climate change to begin with. Right. And, and he always had an issue with California anyway. I mean, it was pretty obvious, <laughs> you know. Well, well, here's what's interesting. In a statement from General Motors uh, CEO, uh, Mary Barra, uh, this goes back actually last week. So this is prior to uh, this reverse course that we learned about just today. Uh, this is something that they've, uh, that uh, she was, is quoted as saying, climate change is real and we want to be part of the solution by putting everyone in an electric vehicle. We are transitioning to an all-electric portfolio from a position of strength, and we're focused on growth. We can accelerate our EV plans because we are rapidly building a competitive advantage in batteries, software, vehicle integration, manufacturing, and customer experience. So in that statement there, what really is clear is, is that when they're talking about rapidly building a competitive, competitive advantage in battery, software, and vehicle integration, and manufacturing, you're right. These are not. This is not something that just. These things are in the works for years. It's not something they just planned the, this last week. And probably, I, I would infer that it's probably not something that they're planning just because of the incoming administration. Uh, it's it's a part of a bigger plan. Uh, maybe there were some politics that were being played and why they were siding with the Trump administration uh, initially. Uh, but I'm I'm glad I'm happy to have them on board if they're going to reverse course and this is going to uh, this is going to move us a, a little bit more quickly towards the zero emission future. I think that that's a pretty good thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, again, like I said, as we talked about last week, Biden plans to expand the the um, the tax credit, the EV tax credits. I think it was what from two hundred thousand vehicles to six hundred thousand vehicles per manufacturer, and and right. GM has this plan to go EV. Which, you know, I'm always skeptical because I've, we've seen these headlines from even GM back in 20s. They said the same thing back in 2017. They said, we're going to go all oh, 20 new models, all EV by 2020, I think it was, or 2025. You know, so it's the same press release, you know, three years later. And you heard it from BMW and you've heard it from Volkswagen, especially, you know, Volkswagen. Every year they, they show a new electric VW bus and tell you that they're going to do, you know, it's going to be out next year or two years or three. Everything's three years away. Uh, so, you know, that that is motivation for them to to side with Biden, obviously, if he's going to because GM's going to need that. Uh, but, you know, and, and GM has their own uphill battles as well. I, like all the, the legacy manufacturers, I think I've mentioned this before. You know, it's not just it's not just for them. It's not just designing and building a great EV. It's now now you have to change your dealer culture. Now you have to change the way you sell things like they, they, they mentioned, even in that quote you just said something about, you know, customer experience. You know, they're trying to move to online sales because dealerships just can't they, they dealerships at the moment can't sell electric cars. They absolutely can't. You know, we used to we used to see this before when you go. I, I remember going to a car show at a BMW dealership and they had a pile of I3s all stuffed back behind the, the service base. You know, here was this new car at the time. Is all electric. They had like four or five of them huddled in a little group out back at the very back of the dealership, practically in the woods. 
And, and, you know, in when the Chevy Volt rolled around, I was talking to a guy who worked at the local Chevy dealership and he's like, yeah, he's like, I had to, I had to basically beg them to bring that car here. You know, I had to convince them to bring that car. They weren't going to touch it. They didn't want nothing to do with it because, you know, they have to buy in or whatever. But so, so you have to change this whole dealer culture and that's going to be tough. I mean, for legacy automakers and, and, and again, you'll see it, they're, they're going to start toting online you know, online auto sales, even after they, they squawked about it and GM actively, you know, actively participated in legislation that kept Tesla out of Michigan and other states. You know, GM was on that. GM sponsored that that, that stuff. You know, they paid for a lot of that. And, and now they're going to turn around and go, oh, online sales are the best thing ever. You know, so it's hypocritical and you can understand hopefully why I'm, I'm skeptical or even... Uh, a little bit like, you know, now GM's kind of greenwashing things, you know, after they after they actively work to keep, uh, you know, Tesla out of the market. Now they're going to turn around and say that, oh, this EV car is the way to go. We believe in this future. And, and again, with dealerships, I'm super skeptical about dealerships. And a matter of fact, the story just came out. Uh, speaking of GM, and I wasn't going to get into this, but a story just came out uh, yesterday about GM is now basically given all the Cadillac dealers an ultimatum. They said, if you're not going to sell EV cars, then we will we will buy you out. So they basically offered Cadillac dealers up to $500,000 to abandon their franchise if they're not going to switch to an EV model. Because, you know, they've been trying to get Cadillac to switch to an online model, and that failed miserably. That they you know A few years ago, there was a major backlash against that. And, and now they basically just straight out said to to Cadillac dealers, we're going to go EV. If you don't want to be part of this, then we'll buy you out, you know, and they're probably going to kind of either find somebody who's on board with the way they, the way they want to do this in the certain regions, or they're, I don't know if they're going to, you know, going to move that all online and try to do it online themselves, which kind of circumvents the franchise laws that they've been fighting for to keep. Uh, so ironically, you know, and, um, and then the other thing is the auto unions, Auto unions are going to be a tough sell for EVs. Auto unions see EVs as threats. You know, again, we talked about that before. You know, they that's a challenge. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how many uh, legacy manufacturers can survive this. You know, the Trump administration was sort of a, a, a little bit of a, what, a respite for, for the automakers who didn't want to move forward, I, I guess. You know, who might have thought, who might have gambled on him being in office for more than four years and kind of bought them time to up the green technology. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's going to, definitely going to be interesting. I'm sure today was kind of a surprise for a number of the other automat automakers who were uh, siding with Trump on this. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, in some of the reports I've read that uh, uh, the announcement, actually, the announcement I'm saying today, I've been saying today, today's Tuesday. Uh, at least that's when we're rec recording this. But it was actually on Monday that she made the announcement it's that, that the uh, their withdrawal caught a lot of uh, uh, automakers off guard. Yeah. And uh, and they apparently many of the other automakers uh, only found out just before the company went public with with the announcement. So uh, yeah, so so it's kind of interesting, you know, how these things work. Uh, the thing is, is that you know even. Even if you do put it into the realm of just simple politics, uh, you know, the GM putting their finger up in the wind and seeing which way it's blowing and just making decisions, uh, there's probably quite a bit of that in this. Uh, but at the same time is that uh, I'm willing to accept the ideas is that they made a bad choice right. and uh, are rectifying that. And I think the other manufacturers eventually... The ones that are still backing this suit, uh, they, they, yeah, they they will they will see light, see the light, and realize. Uh, I suspect a lot of it has to do with that. Uh, uh, as I said last week, they're kicking and screaming their way into the future. Or right. At least I use that 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 statement, uh, and that's kind of what's happened uh, uh, all along. You know, going back twenty years, uh, when you. Look at uh, the introduction of some of the first hybrids. 
and some of the talk that was going on then. And there's always been this this argument, you know, that somehow the 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 workers at these bigger manufacturing plants are are going to be all up in arms about these changes. And I tend to think that that's just a lot of drum beating. Uh, that there's really uh, there's a lot of work that's available going to be available. It will be different, but it's always been different. Right. You know, things have things have changed over time in automotive all along, and right. But union, the, you know, the, uh, I'm sorry. It, oh, sorry. Go if on. you see, if 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 it can be seen as not a displacement of workers, because that will probably not actually be the case once you really get right down to it. But there would be a change in the way that workforce operates. And uh, yeah, it's true that there's a lot fewer moving parts in an electric vehicle in terms of the transmission, not having the transmission, not having the moving parts within uh, a regular uh, internal combustion engine. But that doesn't mean that you know workers have to be displaced completely. There's a lot of new technology that has come up because of electric vehicle manufacturing, including battery technology, uh, which uh, I think that would be a good point for us to segue into one of the other topics that came into the news to, today, and that was that uh, a number of U.S. utilities, along with Tesla, Uber, and some other companies and entities, have launched a new lobbying group for national policies to boost electric vehicle sales. Uh, they're calling themselves the Zero Emission Transportation Association. Have you been following that at all, Peter? I have. You know, the uh, of course, it's been kind of the big news for EVs this week. Uh, the group, which is, you know, calling itself Zeta for short, it consists of 28 businesses, all of which are somewhat related to either EV infrastructure, like charging stations or uh, in su- power supply, like you said, like utility companies, power generation and, and and even ev parts manufacturing companies you know like siemens oh siemens makes a lot of technology for i mean on a number of different um you know industries from they make i think they make everything from bullet trains to windmills to <laughs> to medical equipment uh, and and of course there's also new ev companies you know a lot of ev startups weirdly now not to kind of circle back a little bit but uh, there's no legacy auto manufacturers on this in this you know gm that would be kind of a nice gesture for gm if they want to come on board and join this organization uh might show that they're a little bit more committed than they're saying um because the only the only many you know the only manufacturers on there are manufacturers that that produce or actually you know besides tesla they it's more of startups you know there's rivian there's there's um uh, Lucid a, in Lordstown. Yep, uh, and, in the group. And, and uh, there's a new company called Arrival, which you know maybe we'll get into in another show. They're, they do, um, they do EV. Um, they're, they're they're planning on doing or producing EV sort of industrial vehicles. They do they 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 have like prototype bus, like a, a, a city bus, and they also have a, you know a small delivery vehicle, which is like a little minivan, and they also have sort of a mid-range van which might have fit in well with the whole post office thing we were talking about with the post office selecting a new vehicle you know and we talked about this i think last week we said you know or a, a week before that where if the post office would go back and kind of restart their process you know look at all the companies that popped up in just this short amount of time that could get in on that and put vehicles up but you know and there's also a couple other companies that you might not be familiar with As a matter of fact i had to kind of look into a few of these companies because I wasn't sure like Proterra you know I had never heard of Proterra but turns out they've they've been building electric buses for years you know mostly mm-hmm. out in California right. it's nothing we you know we see around here I guess uh, mostly in cities uh, but they do you know a city bus basically and they're also working with, with Thomas built to build electric school buses which is something we were talking about you know a couple weeks ago so you know they're working on electrifying school buses which is going to you know be big for them and i can you know that's the type of stuff i'd like to see get incentives you know if you're going to talk about lobbying for incentives and and, you know there's other there's a lot of manufacturers i don't know how much of a list we want to go through but uh it's interesting like a lot of lithium there's a couple lithium uh mining companies or, or companies that that control lithium deposits sure 
One of them is, uh, I guess, uh, the largest lithium producer in the world. Uh, it's a company called Albemarle. I believe that's the right uh, pronunciation. A-L-B-E-M-A-R-L-E. Uh, yep. So there are... Uh, and there's uh, Piedmont Lithium, Siemens, as you mentioned. Uh, but yeah, there's a, a, quite a group of power generation, uh, power companies, power suppliers, electric suppliers like Con Edison, Duke Energy, PG&E, that's Pacific Gas and Electric, and EV charging companies. Uh, it puts, put up a lot of the charge stations, ChargePoint and EVgo. We've mentioned them before. Last week, I believe, they came up in the conversation. Yeah. So this... It's quite a group. It's quite a group that's been put together. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'd like to tie that back in with, with the tail end of what we were talking about in our first uh, subject uh, on uh, the GM reversing course, and that was uh, where we ended on jobs, basically, to put it very simple. Uh, yeah. So when you have concerns that in auto manufacturing as it is uh, coming into this uh, uh, oh, you know what we've been doing in the last century or so. Uh, you, we might see some of the those occupational uh, positions change. Uh, uh, we obviously will see them change, just as we've seen that happen in other areas of manufacturing as time moves on. Whether it's in electronics uh, technology, uh, whether it's in just uh, simple things like shoe manufacturing. You know, we see a lot of these things change, and, and it does create shifts in the population, demographics, uh, the availability of work. But I get a strong uh, sense of uh, motivation from the incoming administration that those places where there'll be displacement of workers, that there'll be a great effort to make sure that there's not only a safety net, but there is a place for uh, workers who are transitioning to continue to find employment. And there will be plenty of jobs. There will be plenty of new things happening uh, with uh, the new technologies. There's all there always is. Yeah, and the uh, you know we saw that with GM in Lordstown. Actually, you know one of the the reasons that GM back Lordstown and, and essentially loaned them a factory or, or they're kind of financing it to them uh, uh, was because they, they made an agreement with the union to, that they would help replace jobs that were lost. I mean, there are a lot of new, you know, yeah, there's going to be a lot, uh, a lot of car auto jobs that go away, but you know, like you said, there's going to be a lot of other manufacturing jobs that, that come out of this, you know, just like anything else. I mean, you know, does anybody work at a carburetor factory anymore? <laughs> you know, those guys have obviously moved on to right, something else. Right, right, right. You know. Well, you, do you think that much of the the fear re really rests in the idea of lifestyle changes? And not just saying that, you know, operating an electric vehicle and the way in which you need to charge it up and uh, that there's a lifestyle change in just implicit in that. But lifestyle change in the way in which people see their place in the world of automotive manufacturing. You know, it's a big lifestyle change if you've been uh, you know, digging in under the hood, uh, you know, working on an internal combustion engine to now having to understand a whole new set of facts. You need to relearn what it is to have an electric motor be providing your power to your car. That in, you know, there is clearly a, it's a learning curve, uh, and uh, there'll be resistance to it, you know, because that's a lifestyle change. I'm saying huge lifestyle change. If all you've done for most of your life is to work on an internal combustion engine or engines, and maybe you don't have a great familiarity with electronics. Whenever there was like an electrical issue with the car, uh, you might have deferred to someone who had more experience if you had to get that fixed, or if you were fixing it, or someone in their shop that had much more experience with with the electrical side of the vehicle. So those are things that I think, yeah, they, they present challenges. They're certainly going to present a lot of challenges, but, you know, as we move forward, sometimes grabbing hold and saying, yeah, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to learn these new, new words, new things, like, you know, kilowatt hours. What does it mean? You know, 
when you start talking about you know power, you know, uh, you know, so those uh, those those are things that uh, will require a shift in consciousness. Uh, there's no question about it. But it's probably something that we've needed for a long time is to be able to shift our consciousness and move towards a, a future that is uh, safer for everybody, safer in terms of our environment and our health. Mm. That would make, make a big difference. But, you know, that, that with, on that note, too, it's just that I kind of want to go towards this, uh, one of the companies that is in this group is the, as I mentioned before, is Albemarle, and they're a producer of lithium. I did a little bit of looking around and seeing, okay, not only who, who are they, but also we sometimes take things for granted that we have in front of us all the time. You know, we've talked uh, circles around lithium-ion batteries uh, in some discussions. But you know, what is it? What is it? What is lithium? What? What's? How? How do we manufacture it? Actually, where does it come from? Uh, and uh, so, in doing a little bit of research, um, it's, it seems to be more abundant than I thought it was. I thought it was a very rare element, but uh, and maybe it is. But it's much more prevalent than uh, than I initially thought by by looking it up. You know, you know why? Because back in the early days of electric cars, people—that was one of the arguments. Remember, that was oh, lithium. There's no lithium around. You're never going to be able to get enough lithium to make a certain amount of electric cars, and 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 that was sort of one of the one of the arguments that you would you would come across you know there was there was a few arguments batteries won't last that was one and you know they'll have to be changed every two years and that'll cost you twenty thousand dollars and and then again lithium uh, um, and this is something that i think elon musk even said uh, on the battery day there was that lithium is pretty abundant it's just you got to find different ways to kind of refine it or or bring it out you know different processes to extract it but no, well not only extract it but to extract it without you know damaging the environment any more than you need to you know well a couple of the ways i've found that it is uh, extracted from the environment one of them is uh, sort of those open pit kind of mines uh, where uh, there's a couple of them in australia western australia that i guess produce quite a bit of lithium and it's found in certain kind of rocks and they basically crush and they're able to mill the, the rock and, and uh, extract the lithium along with other items, uh, other uh, minerals that are in, in, the, in the rock, uh, you know, like quartz and feldspar and mica. So, but there's still a use for some of those items as well in, 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 in the process. But there's also a, another way in which they've been able to acquire is through what they're calling brine sources, uh, that being uh, areas of the world that have these uh, mineral-rich, uh, salty uh, aquifers, and uh, you know, certain uh, geographic conditions have created them. There's, there's some in South America uh, found, actually, I guess, uh, in, in quite a few areas of South America, in the central uh, Andes area, and uh, so, yeah, and the, the concentrations of lithium, of course, vary from uh, one area to another. Um, and so, you know, in, in an effort, of course, to keep costs down, they would want to find areas that have uh, not only have the lithium, but they have it in, in a sufficient quantity in, in whatever way it is, whether it's the, in the rock that they're mining or whether it's in these uh, these brine pools that uh, that they can pull it from. You know, I think ultimately one of the things will be, you know, which of those is least damaging to the environment. Right. Uh, it is always a big scar on the environment when you have those open pit kind of mining. Uh, it leaves these big gaping holes, uh, uh, you know, where where the mines are. And I, I think for me, socially, is one of the things that I would be most concerned with is is that are the people that from these areas are they actually being compensated properly for for what, what is on their land? Um, you know, it's always been a case. You know, or you know, are the are the governments there? You know, favorable to the mining 
because they're exploiting it uh, in a way that uh, the people of, of the, the countries are not uh, getting fully compensated. Yeah, so there's always this political aspects to this as well. Uh, whenever you have anything to do with mining and, and extracting valuable elements from the, from the earth, yeah. So, uh, you know, so this this that's a whole set of other arguments and and uh, to talk about. But lithium has been uh, uh, favored over some of the other compositions that were, you know, obviously we've had lead acid batteries, we have nickel hydride batteries, but lithium is, uh, you know, its energy density uh, is much greater, um, and. Uh, and it's also an element that where you can use the energy that you're able to store in it much more quickly. So you're able to get you know uh, large amounts of power out of it fast. So it's a it's one of the reasons why it's become the favor, favored uh, choice for chemicals and uh, batteries, and not only car batteries, but you know. Lithium batteries that you buy for your radio or for your flashlights, phones, <laughs> you, know, you know, for your phones, right? Yeah, All the rechargeable batteries that we, that we have these days. And I, and I think the reason they don't go with nickel, I think it's besides cost. I believe you know nickel is is a little bit more scarce. Uh, although Tesla's been been working on, they, they're going to do sort of levels of batteries, and they they've been basically calling out for for anyone who, who mines nickel or, or, you know, processes nickel to get a hold of them because they, you know, they need to grow. And again, you know, talking about lithium and, and, and mining damage, I mean, that was one of Elon Musk's plans. And I think he's working with Piedmont, if I'm not mistaken, which is on the list. Um, you know, they want, they have this this 10,000 acres of, of clay. I think it was in Arizona or Nevada. I think it was Nevada. And they basically, the idea is they're going to extract the clay. I mean, they're going to dig up this clay run it through a process that involves salt to leach out the lithium, as they said, and and then they're going to put the clay back. So, you know, in theory, it's going to look like nothing ever happened. It's not just going to be this big open pit where all the dirt's gone and, you know, the whole area's poisoned, like you would see with, say, uh, any any other type of mine. Yeah, well, you know, from what I'm reading is that lithium is uh, found throughout the, the globe. Yeah. Uh, so there are sources throughout the globe. There's some, of course, that, are, you know, are richer, uh, than, than in other places. Uh, an interesting little side note is that uh, the, the brine type of extraction that I was talking uh, talking about a moment ago is that the, uh, according to Albemarle, uh, the first large-scale extraction of lithium brine occurred in Silver Peak, Nevada, a place called Clayton Valley. Hmm. So that's interesting. As you were just mentioning Nevada there for... Uh, uh, what sounds like a different type of, of uh, extraction. Yeah. Another company on the um, on the list is Redwood Materials. You know, that's the only recycling company on, on there. And this is where, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well, the life cycle of a battery is basically, you know, mining, and then it's life in the car, and then, you know, what you, do you do after? I mean, that's kind of obviously a really quick summary of a lifetime of battery but you know basically that's what you get you know you, you got to mine the materials you build the battery you put it in the car and then it goes it's recycled so redwood materials is was started by uh, a tesla co-founder who uh, jb strubble and um you know so he 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 basically was the he was the, the chief technical officer uh, for Tesla, so he he knows his way around lithium-ion batteries, and uh, he's he was up with the company until a couple of years ago, and so, and there's a there's going to be talk about a whole new, who uh, whole new industries. You know, lithium-ion battery recycling is going to be necessary. <laughs> you know, beyond even though we do it now, it, I don't think we do it at the scale or, or uh, that we're going to need to, to. Um, to recycle all these EVs, you know, as EVs grow and grow and grow, you know, with an internal combustion engine car, you basically take the car, crush it up, grind it up, and then, you know, melt it down, and voila, you, you could start over again. But with, obviously with lithium-ion batteries, it's a little bit different. You know, it's not the same. Um, so Right. New systems have to be put into place, that's for sure. And, and it's not just the lithium in the batteries that would be in vehicles, although that those will be considerable, you know, once we... 
move to 100% uh, electric vehicles, or, or something else will, will have been developed since then. But right now, it seems that lithium is the way that uh, this is headed. And especially, too, you know, when you look at uh, Uber, who is part of this uh, Zero Emission Transportation Association, or, or Zetter, uh, they're, they're part of it, and uh, their uh, chief executive uh, is saying that uh, Uber is working towards a 100% of uh, rides to uh, EVs in the United States, uh, Canada, and European cities by 2030. That's that's <laughs> that's intense. Yeah. Uh, to be able to for them to move, I'm not sure what that points to. Uh, and they were they're, they're planning to go fully zero emission uh, by 2040. So uh, that's quite quite a statement. Uh, I wonder exactly how that pertains to. I know that Uber has worked with some of the autonomous driving uh, development, but what about uh, all of the Uber drivers that they have? Is that meaning uh, are they implying that those drivers that will be working for them would have to be operating an electric vehicle? sounds like that's where they're going with this um, and we're only talking 10 years away I mean <laughs> if it sounds like distant future think about what you were doing in 2010 yeah I mean the car that I'm the com the, the main car that I'm driving is already eight years old <laughs> uh, you know it doesn't seem like it, it seems like I uh, I can't say I, it seems like I bought it yesterday but it seems like it, it wasn't eight years ago that I bought it and you know it's in good enough condition. I mean, not even good enough condition. It's in very good condition. That there's not much reason for me to want to uh, to get rid of it at this point. So yeah, so ten years is going to come up on us very fast. Well, the thing is, you know, with Uber, I, I believe they have certain restrictions on the vehicles uh, to begin with. So if you were to sign up for Uber and you had a, you know, a 2005 old uh, or 2000, you know old cutlass sierra i don't think they'll take you you know you won't be able to drive for them you have to have sort of a newer reliable vehicle i'm not sure what exactly the you know what the requirements are but i i know it's you know a certain amount of years old and a certain amount of mileage so eventually you know the cars will sort of work themselves out just like in everything else uh and, and i believe uber is already offering i know they do in the uk if you if you uh if you sign up to drive with a an EV car, they give you sort of more of the profit, you know, off of the. So they are, in, you know, incentivizing people to move to EVs as already, uh, as we speak. And again, the cars will age themselves out, just like in the regular, in the in, in uh, all cars eventually will age themselves out, and gas cars will just kind of slowly die off. Well, since we're at about two percent of the total U.S. auto sales being electric vehicles. Uh, sales in 2019 were 326,000 cars. So it's, it's a relatively small amount. To go to 100% in 10 years, it just seems like, how do we do that? How do you go from 2%? But I think you're right in some some ways is that it would just happen. If it just begins to happen, it happens. It seems like a, a, a lot of change in, in 10 years. But we've been talking about it now for 20 years, uh, and maybe it'll take a little bit longer. Obviously, there'll be a lot of cars, uh, uh, ICE cars, internal combustion engine cars, on the road still. Uh, even in California, which has set 2035 as the, the last year that you're going to be, by 2035, you'll, you'll uh, let, me, let me get that statement correct. Uh, they will, California is banning any new cars uh, that would be gasoline-powered cars uh, or trucks uh, starting in 2035. Uh, so by then, they're expecting that uh, anyone who goes out to buy a new car, if they live in California, they're going to only have choices of electric vehicles. So it's 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 coming very fast. I mean, it, it just seems like it's a, a, a... When you say only 2%, it seems like a long way to go. Uh, but it's... a uh, uh, it's it's something that can the change can happen really quickly. Uh, the, the the change from horse to 
cars. I mean, I, I, I know that's probably been brought up way too many times already by anyone and everyone, but the change was relatively fast there as well. You still saw horses around. Uh, you know, you see, you know, a delivery person with a milk cart or something. Uh, still, you know, into the 20th century, we were still, uh, you know, getting around with a, a horse and, and a carriage or, uh, or some type of uh, a horse-drawn vehicle. But it changed pretty quickly. Uh, it's almost it's a century later, but it par almost parallels it in a certain way. How there were few cars, few electric vehicles in the first part of the century, but suddenly, as we move towards the first uh, quarter mark of the century, uh, there's uh, a lot more, and there, will, and there will be even more. So I don't know how you want to wrap this up this week, Peter, but I I think I think we've talked this out pretty much. Well, I, I did want to real quick uh, just to follow up with what you're talking about you know as far as vehicles automobiles themselves you know uh you're right it did come very fast you know automobiles came out they were a toy for the rich they you know you the average joe couldn't afford one uh and and people dismissed them as a fad and all oh, the rich people with their automobiles and and what happened you know the markets they invested money um uh, Ford invested money. They they developed processes to make the the cars cheaper and more efficient to build, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're mainstream. And and that's happened with phones. That's happened with TVs. That happens with with every new tech computers. Computers are the biggest you know example of that. I, imagine buying a computer that could that could keep up with your, you know, twenty twenty iPhone back in nineteen seventy. <laughs> what would that cost you? What would that, how big would that be? Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, You'd need a room in the house for it, right? And and you know, so it'll happen. And and Norway is a great example of this. You know, where you have a population that's dedicated to making this work. In in March 2020, seventy five percent of the new vehicles sold in March 2020 in Norway had a plug. So, you know, what's that tell you? They were either e, they were either EV or battery. I mean, I mean uh, EV or PHEV. So they were either battery powered or they had a plug-in, uh, a plug-in hybrid. So that's petrol cars were seven percent by comparison, and then diesel was ten, and hybrid was seven. So it, it can happen if you have a population that's dedicated to it and doesn't see it as an enemy of the, you know, they don't have the auto industry we have that that puts out disinformation or or. Uh, you know, as as Tesla fans like to call it, FUD, which is you know fear, uncertainty, of doubt stories about electric cars, and so you know that it can't happen. And then, uh, really quick before we wrap it up, do you want to just should we just run down the 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 agenda of this of this new uh, lobby? I mean, we talked about the companies that are on the list, but we we didn't really get into the agenda of of the um, the Zeta lobby or the. Uh, well, uh, sure, you can a few bullet points if you got them. Sure, why not? Obviously, point of sale incentives. That's one. That's number one on the list. Uh, adoption, cost reductions, um, and, and generally just pushing transportation electric uh, electrification. Uh, number two is is incentives, and I think with the Biden administration, they're probably this, this was probably a, a less of a uh, uh, you know a, a thing because yeah, emissions yeah, targets. In, in, in that respect, I've got a quote from uh, Joe Biden that uh, he made on Monday, uh, and this is a quote. We can own the electric vehicle market, building 550,000 charging stations and creating over a million good jobs here at home with the federal government investing more in clean energy research. So I think you're right. He's uh, you know, clearly on board. Yeah. And that's actually number three is infrastructure investments. That's that's lobbying for infrastructure uh, investments and in, in, uh, exactly what you just mentioned, you know, making the way, you know, paving the way for clean energy and number four is domestic manufacturing, which, of course, you know, we touched upon, and that is developing, not only helping, you know, uh, develop domestic manufacturing, but also EV supply chain and, and, and recycling and critical materials. And then number five is um, federal leadership and cooperation with subnational entities. Federal support should invest in research and development, provide an aligned vision for electrification, and ensure local leaders are empowered with the expertise and resources to support full vehicle electrification. 
So that's just a quick rundown of, of what they're looking to do. And I actually kind of wonder if they'll get into sort of countering what I talked about earlier, where you have legacy and you have dealership, you know, you have the dealer lobbies and, and dealer groups and even SEMA, which does, you know, they do a lot of lobbying, which is um, the aftermarket uh, lobby group. You know, will they kind of counter, start countering that, that stuff, you know, uh, maybe fight some of the dealer franchise laws and, and kind of try to roll that back so there's not so much restriction on sales of, of you know, say Rivian or Lucid who are, they're going to fight the same battle that Tesla walked into, you know, where they're not, they're not able to sell in certain states. You know, Texas is building a massive factory in a state of Texas. I mean, Tesla's building a factory in Texas and they can't even sell cars there. <laughs> so how, how ludicrous is that? Right. I mean, it's like, it, it's idiotic, you know, and they're not allowed to sell cars there because the dealer lobbies are keeping them out. But uh, you know, and, and we'll probably post some more about this. We'll, we'll put these on the EV power side. I'll put this list up. Uh, and if you yeah. want to get into it and uh, well, what we might want to commit ourselves to is, is uh, contacting the folks at uh, Zeta Z E T A zero emission transport. Association, and maybe we can get someone from their group to come and speak with uh, us on one of our future podcasts. Yeah, I'd definitely be interested, especially when they start, you know, getting the ball rolling and they start uh, getting out there and advocating for this stuff. I'd, I'd like to hear about it, you know, or even a few of these companies on the list to be interested to kind of hear more about what they do, you know. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, next week maybe we'll get a little bit more. Maybe we can revisit that Cadillac story I was talking about earlier with the dealerships and uh, maybe talk a little bit more about Arrival. That's another EV startup. And I guess that about wraps it up this week. Uh, if you want to learn more about Zeta, you can visit their website at Zeta2030.org. That's Z-E-T-A 2030.org. And you can kind of read their, you know, press releases and, of course, their key issues and and you know, get in touch with them. Maybe you want to join or support or, you know, be a part of it somehow. And uh, so I guess we'll, we're going to say goodbye. Uh, Rich, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Likewise. We want to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, don't forget to check us out at rpmnewsweekly.com if you want to learn more about what we do. Uh, check out uh, EV Power Podcast as well. That's where you can find past episodes and listen to the show. Right. And it's available on Stitcher also. That's right. So, uh, you know, go on Stitcher and look us up and don't forget to rate us and like us and find us on YouTube, rate us, like us, all that good stuff. It's too much social media in the world. We promote all that stuff, but find us <laughs> find us on uh, social media at rpmnewsweekly.com and like our stuff, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And we'll catch you all next week. All right. Catch you then. Have a nice holiday. You as well. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the EV Power Podcast. If you'd like to hear more automotive news that goes behind the headlines, check out our other podcast, RPM News Weekly, or visit us at rpmnewsweekly.com.